0: Uh, just by way of introduction, um, there's 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 really three factors in the way any child is going to turn out, or any child is uh, the, their destiny in life is going to be determined. Uh, the first is your parenting. You're a significant means of grace that that God has ordained in your children's lives. And so uh, I, I noted there, uh, Deuteronomy 6 is the main parenting passage of the Old Testament uh, among many. Uh, it just talks about we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then teach these things to your children. Uh, make sure you're passing this on to the next generation. Talk about it in your homes. Talk about it on the way. Um, make that the main purpose uh, of your life as far as your children. And then uh, in the New Testament, Ephesians 6, uh, bring your children up in the discipline and the instruction of, of the Lord. And then 2 Timothy 3, uh, I think is a wonderful example, kind of the, the model that follows on Deuteronomy and, and Ephesians, where Paul writes about Timothy 2 Timothy, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been equated with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And in another place, Paul talks about how Timothy learned the scriptures from a very young age. Like it says here, how from childhood, from his mother and his grandmother. Uh, And so that's really the the model that we have as parents, that we have the privilege and the responsibility uh, as parents to pass on the truths of God's word particularly the truths of the gospel to our children. So uh, one of the three factors is your parenting. The second is your children's choices. Um, you, uh, at the end of the day, your, your children are going to have to make choices about whether they follow God or not, what they do with their lives. And so uh, Proverbs 1.8, the whole book of Proverbs is kind of a, a father trying to communicate important truths to his children. And so in the introductory section in eight, hear, my son, your father's instructions and forsake not your mother's teaching. And then in Proverbs 2, 1 through 5, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So uh, your children have choices to make. If they seek after the word of God uh, as if it was treasure, if they listen to their mother and father's instructions, then... Um, God's grace will be with them in their choices. And then thirdly is God's sovereign grace. Uh, Your parenting, your children's choices, God's sovereign grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. Um, uh, Interestingly, in John chapter one, when John is writing about Jesus being the word of God, he says, uh, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." Uh, In other words, uh, each child has to come to faith on their own. It can't be just because their parents want them to, you know, the will of man, the will of the flesh, desire them to teach and change the scriptures. Each child has to make that decision on their own. So your parenting, significant means of grace, your children's choices uh, for good or for bad, and then God's sovereignty. And, And God's sovereignty, his electing purpose in your children's life, is obviously the most important factor of all of the factors. Uh, In John chapter 6, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And so as Reformed people, we believe in divine election, that God chooses uh, who it is that he will save. And I I find with parents over the years, uh, divine uh, election can either be a source of great comfort to them or perhaps a source of anxiety. You know, what if my child isn't elect? Uh, I find it to be a source of great comfort uh, because I know that while I don't have any guarantees, while none of us have any guarantees about our children, I know that we have great reason for hope because God's given Jane and I a, a covenantal relationship with him. God's given you all a covenantal relationship uh, with him. It really is interesting how in the Old Testament, uh, God has multiple promises to parents about the blessings that will come to children as a result of faithful parenting. Um, th- these, and, and I, th- I think it's reasonable to expect that those blessings would carry over into the New Testament. By the way, um, these these pro- these these aren't ironclad guarantees. We can't take these and say, oh, okay." the scripture says for sure uh, my children will be will be saved. But they do give us strong encouragement in the Lord's intent that God honors your uh, imperfect uh, yet sincere parenting. God honors your imperfect yet sincere character and training uh, of your children. Uh, Sometimes. Uh, our children get saved soon when they're young and we get to see it and raise them that way. Sometimes it happens uh, later in life. But I think there are good biblical reasons for hope that uh, our children will eventually be saved, even though they're not guaranteed. So I've listed a few scriptures there. Let me just read some. Deuteronomy thirty nineteen. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. And so this promise of parenting is your choosing of life will have an effect on your offspring. Proverbs 27, uh, the righteous who walks in integrity, blessed are his children after him. Uh, Proverbs 22, 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from us. Remember, these aren't ironclad promises. Um, And then Isaiah 65 in the Prophets, uh, They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. And then you have this really interesting passage in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul writes, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. And I remember, you know, you think, what the heck uh, is he talking about here? I, I, um, because remember back to John, each child must, must make their own decisions. Uh, but Gordon Fee has a, has a helpful understanding of this passage. He says, Paul is setting forth a high view of the grace of God at work through the believer towards members of his or her own household. So again, not, not promises, but a high view of how God works in the children of his own elect and children of believers. And it's no accident that God has placed your children in a Christian home, that God has given you your children uh, as, as Christian parents, and that God has given you grace to raise those children and to uh, particularly raise those children in the fear and the admonition or the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And so while God has every right, every freedom to not choose our children or save our children. Uh, again, I think we have very good reason for hope and for faith as we enter into this process. And I think that that that's the foundational truth that I I think we, we need to bring to this uh, whole process, that our hope, our faith is in God and his faithfulness and uh, to us and, and his faithfulness to, the, to his children. So uh, that's just some kind of introductory foundation laying for us. But then let's talk about, okay, what does it look like for our children to be saved? How, how do we evangelize our children? Uh, I want to read a few quotes here. This one by Ryle is long, but I think it's, it's really good. He says, precious, no doubt, are these little ones in your eyes. But if you love them, think often of their souls. No interest should weigh with you so much as their eternal interests. No part of them should be so dear to you as that part which will never die. The world with all of its glory shall pass away. The hills shall melt. The heavens shall be wrapped together as a scroll. And the sun shall cease to shine. But... The spirit which dwells in these little creatures, whom you love so well, shall outlive them all. And whether in happiness or misery, to speak as a man will depend on you. This is the thought that should be uppermost in your mind in all you do with your children. In every step you take with them, in every plan and scheme and arrangement that concerns them, do not leave out that mighty question, how will this affect their souls? William Farley says, saving faith, deeply rooted in the children's hearts, is the supreme goal of Christian parents. And I believe that's true. Folks says, "Uh, parents should care more for the loyalty of their children to Christ than anything besides. More for this than their health, their intellectual vigor and brilliance, their material prosperity, their social position, their exemption from great sorrows and great misfortunes. Uh, I really like that quote because it really captures something that can happen in America and, and that is the uh, what i 'll call American dream Christianity that you know we, we want our kids to yeah, of course we want them to be Christians. But we also be healthy and be smart and get into a good college and get a good job and get married, and nothing wrong with any of, of those things. But but they just can never be the priority. And and then uh exemption from great sorrows and great misfortune. Of course we want we don't want our children to experience those, those things. And and yet even if those come and God uses those uh, as a means through which he saves them, uh, we, we can be grateful for that. So that's why I say I think the number one job of parents, lots of jobs, but the number one job is to evangelize your children. Uh, the number one job you have as parents uh, is to do everything you can to lead them to saving faith. Uh, the other encouraging thing here. Is that there is a there is a humility, and and a a faith in children uh, that naturally soften them to the gospel. Uh, last stat I read was eighty percent of people who are Christians get saved before they're eighteen years old, and and so those are those are the parenting those are the parenting years. It's interesting. A couple things Jesus says that are encouraging, uh, Matthew 11. At the time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Not necessarily meaning just little children, but people have the, the, that have the faith and humility and, and softness that a little child naturally has. And then Matthew 19 but Jesus says, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of, of heaven. So, uh, that's the job. What does it look like? What do we do? How do we think this through? Well, uh, the first thing I think is kind of obvious is uh, we need to present the gospel to our children in, in its fullness. Um, I, I didn't ask, how many, how many of you have... Children under five? Okay, a lot. Uh, How many have children between six and 12? Okay, a lot. How many have teenagers? Some. Okay, Uh, but you will Um, someday. Uh, Early training of children, the focus is simply to get them under control. Uh, I remember we kind of laughed about it, but uh, at a uh, Sovereign Grace Pastors Conference, we were doing a panel on parenting. And uh, we had a Q&A time at the end and somebody raised their hand and, and says, so I have an 18 month old, how do you do gospel-centered parenting? And it just kind of came, I said, you don't. And uh, I, I, there's a time to, to start gospel-centered parenting. But the, the job early on is simply get them under control. Uh, get them to understand your authority, get them to understand they 're responsible to obey you and then once they're once they 're there uh and and obey albeit imperfectly they 're never going to obey perfectly but once you 've established that, the years between one and two or one and three or, you know, all children are different, whatever it is. But that's the first job. But once you get them under control, then you can begin a gospel-centered uh, type of parenting uh, with them. And, and each parent has to discern. So when, when is my child old enough to kind of understand these gospel concepts? And when is my, children, my child old enough to understand their heart? Um, because understanding their heart, getting their heart, uh, is critical in helping them to understand why they need to be saved and where sin comes from, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and so Paul said in Romans one, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. Uh, so our, our child training, uh, is important in a lot of different areas, we're we're training our our child children to a lot of different ways Um, and and a lot of our training prepares their heart for the gospel but it's only the gospel that that saves Um, and wonderfully the gospel is simple Uh, the good news is is simple it's simple enough for even a very young child uh, to to understand, uh, to grasp now there's a lot of teaching that surrounds the gospel, election and justification and, and atonement and propitiation, uh, which you don't need to teach your three-year-old uh, about. And they don't need to know those things uh, in order to be saved. Uh, they, need, they need to know the simple gospel. Um, and then later on, they could learn about, you know, what's behind it and things like that. Um, but that's encouraging. This is not some complex nuclear physics, rocket science uh, kind of thing. It's a uh, the the gospel is very simple. Um, also, by the way, there there isn't one gospel for children, one for teen, and one for adults. It's it's the same simple gospel for everyone. Um, and so, the first thing we need to teach them is that they're a sinner who needs a savior. Uh, The gospel makes no sense uh, without understanding our sin. Uh, William Farley says, the heart of the problem is a problem heart. Uh, And that's what we need to get to. Ted Tripp in his wonderful book, uh, Shepherding a Child's Heart, he says, the central focus of child rearing is to bring children to a sober assessment of themselves as sinners. They must understand the mercy of God who offered Christ as a sacrifice for sinners. How is this accomplished? You must address the heart as the foundation of behavior and the conscience as the God-given judge of right and wrong. The cross of Christ must be the central focus of your child rearing. The focal point of your discipline and correction, and you should underline that in your outline, must be your children seeing their utter inability to do the things which god requires unless they know the help and strength of the lord and so uh, you all know this you're well taught but children all of us are born with this inborn lust to defy authority and to want our own way and to go uh, our own way what what the Bible calls the sin nature. Uh, And by the way, even after your children are saved, uh, regenerate people still have to deal with this this sin nature. Uh, So Genesis uh, 8 says, The intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Uh, Romans 3, as it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside and together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And that, that, includes, uh, that includes your children. Uh, Ephesians talks about uh, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all had once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Uh, And so your children, like the rest of mankind, the reason they need to be saved, the problem that has to be, if you will, overcome in order to be saved, is to understand uh, their their sin and God's wrath or God's opposition uh, to their sin and their natural opposition to God—that's the starting point. The gospel makes no sense without sin. Uh, the gospel makes no sense uh, without understanding uh, that we are we are lost. One of the reasons that the law is important. Uh, Paul, Paul writes in Galatians 3, the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Um, and so uh, this is why your discipline uh, of your children uh, is, is so important in uh, the pro- beginning the process of sharing the gospel with your children. Because every time they disobey you, it's, it's a reflection of uh, that sin nature. It's a reflection uh, of, uh, of their natural enmity towards authority, and particularly God's authority. And, and by the way, as part of your discipline and correction, you need to instruct your children that, that, that you're, you're doing what you do because God has commanded you to. That you're, that you're representing God's authority to them and that your children aren't just disobeying you when they disobey, they're disobeying God. Uh, the, the, it, you know, this can't just be all about you and them. And so them understanding you in an age-appropriate way as God's delegated authority and that when they disobey, they're not just disobeying you, they're disobeying God. Uh, but their disobedience and your discipline of them uh, is is the um, is the way the the, the main way that you 're going to be able to communicate this forced important truth uh, about the gospel that 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 they 're sinners who need a savior that they're that they 're operating in opposition uh, to god so uh first of all oh by the way especially as they get older uh it's really important that you relate with them as a fellow sinner um not well you're this sinner and i'm you know perfect mom or dad uh even though you don't think that you can subtly communicate that uh, to your children so particularly as they get older just relating you know what the Bible says about being a sinner, and be, that was me, and I did that, and I still have a hard time with that. And uh, so that they recognize, no, we're in this together. My my parents get it; they they relate with me uh, in in these in these ways, and so that that's kind of the starting point. And until a child understands in in an age-appropriate way. Their need for a savior because of their sin, the rest of the gospel makes no sense. And then, secondly, uh, obviously that Jesus is the savior. Um, the The gospel is simply uh, the story of uh, is is simply Jesus' history. It's his birth, his his sinless life, uh, particularly his substitutionary uh, death, uh, his his resurrection. That. Uh, so with all of this sin and, and God's punishment and what do I do? Um, the good news of the gospel is, well, Jesus died for your sins. Jesus died to take your place. Jesus died as your substitute. Um, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for your sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the, the scriptures. So um, just just relating, there's a savior uh, out there, and that savior is Jesus, and, and this is how he, he saves. Um, next, uh, make sure you're relating the grace, mercy, and love of God that motivated the gospel, that... Um, the, the, the Gothic, um, Ephesians, right after what I read about children of wrath, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Um, Acts, or Romans 2, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. First uh, John four we love because he first loved us um, god 's god 's love and grace and mercy are compelling truths um, th- this uh, being saved isn 't like this business transaction um, it's it 's an affectionate rescue, and you want to make sure that your children uh, know of of that, that, that God wants them to be saved because he loves them and he, he wants to be merciful to them and he wants to be uh, gracious to them uh, in these ways. It's, it's one of the ways, by the way, that Bible stories um, are important to your children in laying a foundation for the gospel because Bible stories, which, which kind of compel them and so... Um, there's a, there's a great Jesus storybook Bible is really good. And there's, there's probably a lot of other Bibles that just tell all these Old Testament stories. And you might think, well, well, they teach your child that God exists, that there is a God, and that God acts, that he deals with people. And so these Bible stories are laying a foundation um, to help them to understand that there is a God and that this God exists and this God acts. And part of that action is, is the gospel. And so uh, that other kind of training you do or things that they might get in children's ministry or vacation Bible school, um, they're laying a foundation in your children's lives uh, about the realities of, of God, which are going to be important to them. And then uh, next, uh, we must teach them the response to the gospel. The what must I do to be saved question. And the answer is very clear. It's, it's repentance and faith. Uh, in, in the very first chapter of Mark, um, the Jesus preaching was repent and believe in the gospel. And so we have to help our understanding. So how, how is it that they actually get saved? Now, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings here, but please avoid the ask Jesus into your heart uh, kind of mentality when it comes to the, uh, the gospel. Nowhere does scripture talking about asking Jesus into your heart. Jesus is going to come into your heart, and that's going to be the reason they're able to repent and believe the good news. Um, asking Jesus into your heart is not the response to the gospel. Uh, repenting and believing is the response to uh, the gospel. Uh, and then uh, there are sinners who need a savior. Jesus is the savior. God loves them, wants to be merciful to them, wants to be gracious to them. Um, they can be saved through repentance and faith. And then also the call of the gospel, uh, the reality that Jesus isn't just the savior, Uh, He is also Lord, that the call of the gospel is not just come and be saved, but come follow me. Uh, It's interesting in Peter's very first sermon in Acts, uh, in Acts 2, he says, God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. So as you're preaching to your children, it's not just, well, come and be saved, come and be saved, get saved. No, it's come and be saved and, and follow Jesus. You have a call to be a disciple. So come and be saved and follow Jesus. And so um, because the gospel is the power of God for salvation, it's important that we communicate and be communicating in an age-appropriate way those gospel truths, but they've got to be the gospel truths. Uh, they've they, they got to be those realities uh, of the gospel Uh, Second thing in evangelizing your children is simply be patient, be patient. Uh, Interesting passage in Mark four, Jesus is telling a variety of parables. And this is is called the parable of the seed growing. And Jesus says, the seed sprouts and grows. He, the, the sower knows not how the earth produces by itself First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And then when the grain is ripe, since he puts in the sickle, because the harvest come. And the the purpose of this isn't to talk about how things work in your garden. The purpose of this is to to understand the process by which uh, sowing the seeds of the gospel, uh, they work in a person's in a person's life. And so you're sowing the seed, sowing the seed, sowing the seed. Uh, and then the seed somehow spouts and grows and you ought to be kind of surprised uh, by it. And, and notice the earth, first there's a blade. In other words, there's, there's a process that you're, that you're seeing take place here, then the ear and then the full grain. And when the full grain happens, that's when the, it's time to harvest. Um I think the temptation is, and we'll talk more about this in a minute, that when we see that first little blade, okay, now it's time to harvest it. Um and I I, I think that's a mistake. I know uh, between my first and my second two children, um, you know, my our, our first daughter Ann, I just rushed, 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 we gotta, you know, get her saved. And I think she really was saved at a young age, despite me. Um, but uh just learning Patience with with the other two really helped me. So listen, you don't need to press your children into a commitment that they don't understand uh, or press them into a commitment that they don't really want to make from their heart. Your goal isn't to get your children to pray a prayer. You can probably get your children to pray a prayer. Uh, but that 's not the goal your Your goal is to see them genuinely saved. Your goal is to see them come to genuine faith and repentance um, i've just seen a lot of parents over almost forty years of parenting parents with normal good judgment um, can have their judgment clouded by their desire to see their 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 natural, normal, understandable desire to see their children saved. Sometimes their judgment gets clouded uh, by that affection. Um, The the genuineness of your child's conversion is too important for that. Uh, And so uh, things I think we need to watch out for in the patience department, Um, we can mistake natural curiosity for a prepared heart. Um, You know, they are around... Christian stuff all the time. And, and so, uh, and especially if they have siblings that are asking questions and getting saved, um, they're gonna be curious, they're gonna ask questions. That doesn't necessarily mean that they have a prepared heart. Uh, we can mistake intellectual knowledge for a hard commitment. Uh, they can learn the facts of the gospel. And we'll talk about this more when we talk about being sure. They can learn the facts of the gospel, memorize the facts of the gospel uh, easily at a pretty young age and be able to parent uh, parent them back to you. That doesn't mean that it's affected their heart. Um, We can mistake wanting to be part of the crowd for personal devotion. So man, mom's saved, dad's saved, my friends are saved, uh, my siblings are saved. I want to be saved too. Um, So... Um, we, we can mistake that desire to, I, I want to be one of the guys. I want to be in the club. I want to, or however they might put it. Uh, they don't want to be outsiders. They want to be insiders. And so we, we can, if we're not careful, mistake just going with the crowd. Everybody's doing it. I'm going to do it too. And then we can mistake learn behavior. That's Christian like for life changing relationship. Um, I think there are certain dangers that parents face with a real compliant child. You know, the child is just not always defying you, wants to obey, is real easy. Um, and, and we can kind of mistake that compliance. So, man, I think God's done a genuine work in their heart, and they're just different, and they're obedient, and they want to. Um, being a compliant child isn't the same as being regenerated. And so we, we, we just have to be careful to watch those kind of things. I actually think one of the great blessings of being reformed is you're not going to miss the moment. So I, there's not going to be a time where your child, you know, I really want to be saved. and You don't think they're ready. And you say no. And then you realize, oh, no, I had the moment. I missed it. And now they're doomed to eternal destruction. Um, no, you're, you're not going to miss the moment. If God has chosen them to be saved, they're they're going to be saved, and that helps us to be patient uh, with them during during the process. Um, and so, um, a couple of quotes here from Sam Amati. He says, "Our children, precisely because they're children of believers, are likely to profess faith whether or not they are converted. They spent their whole lives in a society." That's socially and culturally favorable to Christianity. A Christian family, and I, I think we're wise to be aware of that. Dennis Gunderson, your your child will not be any less saved by your judicious waiting for more substantial evidences if God has indeed performed a work of grace in the first place. So just be be patient, be be wise, and again, there is the because we love them and because we want them to be safe, there can be a temptation to rush the process. But then how do I know, you know, when they're ready? It's not like, you know, when you're 40 years old, you can become president of the United States and be safe. Um, you know, that, that's not, so how, how do we know they're, they're ready? Um, you know, obedience is a simple concept, isn't it? You either do something or you don't do something. Faith is a far more nuanced concept. And as a result, it can be, it can be more difficult uh, to discern faith. But how, how, do I, how, do I, how do I know? I mean, obviously we pray, we ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Um, but how do we know? I think four signs. One, an increased initiative on their part. In, in other words, you see them pressing you uh, mom dad I want to be saved or I want to be baptized or um, when when you see the initiative coming from them rather than you on an increasing basis uh, that's a wonderful sign increase questioning on their part they, they just it's not just you telling them things they want to know they have questions and all those those are signs of God working in their heart, you know. The blade, the sprout that's that's signs that perhaps something's going on there. God's doing something there. Uh, increased understanding of their need for forgiveness. Uh, you you begin to see in your discipline process with them, or when they've sinned, that they they really understand and lean into. I wanna be forgiven, I need to be forgiven. Um, and then they come to a place where they can relate the gospel in their own words and not just a, a parroted um, memorized presentation uh, of the gospel. Uh, and so when you start to see those things, those are the things that I, that I think, okay, um, it, it looks like we're, we're moving towards uh, that, that moment. Now, whether uh, your children are ready or not, affirm every bit of interest uh, that they show in the gospel. Uh, And don't be discouraged by their ups and downs. Um, They're probably going to experience times of interest, and then they're going to experience times of apathy. So maybe one day they're all interested and excited, and I want to be saved, and I want to be baptized, and then the next day... Uh, honey, do you, are you still thinking about, yeah, you know, I'm thinking about the latest toy or something like that. Um, that's just characteristic of children. Uh, and that's why we need to maintain our faith. You know, uh, Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. In other words, children think and speak and reason in a, in a childish way. And we, we need to understand that. So, as parents, sometimes we go, oh they're just so near, they're right on the cusp, and then a week later, oh they're just so far away. Um, don't don't let yourself be frustrated by that. It's it's a process, and God's working in their lives uh, through the process. Um, their immaturity is going to affect their 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 children are going to affect the way they process these things um fourthly and obviously faithfully pray um paul writes in romans 10 brothers my heart's desire and prayer for god for them is that they may be saved first uh, timothy paul writes to timothy first of all then i urge that supplication prayer intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people uh, this is good and pleasing in the sight of god our savior who desires all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth um, God uses means of grace um, we, we always want to be careful in, in all kinds of areas never let God's electing purposes um, to somehow be an excuse to not use the means of grace that God has given us uh, and so the means of grace of sharing the gospel, the means of grace of prayer history is littered with stories of believing parents who prayed uh, for their children. Um, Probably famously, you hear about the most, Augustine's mom, Monica, uh, Christian prayed for her uh, straying son for years and he gets saved and becomes uh, one one of the great theologians of the church. So never give up on praying, never lose hope, uh, praying for your children, your your prayers for your children are powerful. Um, I a lot of things I'd change about the way I parenting, but I think one thing I did well is I just prayed for our children uh, even before they as soon as I knew uh, they were coming and um, and now pray for our grandchildren um, just faithfully that they that they would come. One of the wonderful things about prayer too is it reminds us throughout the process of, of God's all-sufficiency and our insufficiency. Um, I, I think often in the process, we can we can kind of subtly, it's on me, it's on me, it's on me, I gotta do this, gotta do that. And yeah, you do have a calling and you have things you're called to do. But daily prayer reminds us, you know what? If this is gonna happen, it's gonna be because of God being at work. Yes, I'm a means of grace, Uh, but I'm not the source of grace. God's the source of grace in my children's life, and I'm going to rest and trust in him. Um, That's why I say I think praying is the most important thing you can do along with sharing the gospel. I love this quote by Charles Bridges. Uh, He's not specifically talking about evangelizing our children, um, but it's, it's quite germane. He says, It is faith that enlivens our work with perpetual cheerfulness, It commits every part of it to God in the hope that even mistakes shall be overruled for his glory and thus relieves us of an oppressive anxiety often attended upon a deep sense of our responsibility. The shortest way to be peace will be found in casting ourselves upon God for daily pardon of deficiency and supplies of grace without looking too eagerly for present fruit. Um, I, I, I think there's wisdom there. Uh, fifth thing is to faithfully model. Um, one of the things that Deuteronomy says, Deuteronomy 6.6, 6, uh, these things shall be upon your heart. Uh, in other words, part of the process of... of um, Gatorade and Ad years ago, is it in you? Well, if these things aren't in you, um, it... And, and not just I'm saved, but the effects of the gospel in your life, being a follower of Jesus. If these things aren't in you, uh, you're, you're going to miss an, an important part, uh, of, which is setting an example for your children. Farley says, kids internalize their parents' passions. They alone see what or who you really love and not what you merely pretend to love. When parents practice what they teach, God gives them moral authority in their children's eyes. All teaching in the Bible starts with example. And so setting an example for your children. Um, And then just a few thoughts on evangelizing your teens. Uh, Just a reminder, remember, the gospel is the same for children, for adults, as it is for teenagers. So there's not a difference, but there are some differences because of their age. Uh, you're going to be able to have more mature and reasoned conversations with them. They're going to have a, a better ability to grasp and understand the concepts uh, of, of, the, of the gospel. Also, they're going to have the ability to count the cost better than a child is, uh, that what it means to really deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Jesus. Uh, one of the things that we have to be careful of with our teenagers is that the anxiety quotient can ratchet up. And so the older our children get and they're not saved, and they're 13, or they're 16, or they're 18, they're going away, you know, uh, our anxiety can begin to to ratchet up. And um, boy, I was so guilty of this. We, we got to be so careful of fear-based parenting versus faith-based parenting. If, if you're... Parenting comes out of a fear of what's going to happen to my children. I've got to get them saved. Got um, it's, it's going to corrupt subtly everything you do. And your children are going to pick up on that fear uh, instead of on faith. And they're going to feel the pressure that's coming from you. And, and nobody likes to be pressured. And so they, they, they tend to, to subtly pull away uh, from that pressure. So um, that's why it's so good, I can't, I can't save my children. Only God can do that. Uh, and, and so, uh, and again, I said, you can, you can probably pressure them into saying a prayer, but you can't pressure them into being genuinely saved. And I think that's both freeing and it's, and it's, and it's humbling for us, especially as, as they get older. Now, by the way, you can press the, the, the truths and the demands of the gospel uh, without being pressuring. It's interesting in Acts chapter two, as Peter's ending his Pentecost sermon, he says, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. The, um, the Niv says, urge. Uh, and so there's, there's a line we have to walk. But we can't make, yeah, gospel, take it or leave it. You know, it's a good thing to do. But um, no, no, it's, it's literally life or death. Uh, and so it, it is appropriate to, to bring to bear, especially as children get older and can grasp it, this is life and death and urge them but that's different than this constant pressuring them uh, to do something. So, okay, last part of this, and then we'll uh, do questions and take a break. Uh, I just called this the difficult question of when to baptize. Now, um, there, there, there are perspectives all over the map. Sovereign Grace Churches, have different perspectives on, on this. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys have developed a uh, baptism uh, formula yet, but um, so there's, there's I'm not telling you the right or wrong. This is the way you do it. But it's, it's a question you have to think of as parents and as a local church. Um, our practice at Crossway is to baptize as soon as someone, no matter what the age is, makes a credible profession of faith. Uh, in other words, they understand the gospel, they understand how it relates to them, they understand the implications for their life, I'm signing on to follow Jesus. Um, so our practice is, if a parent comes to us and says, uh, I think my child is saved and and we want to have him baptized, we'll, we'll do an interview with the child without their parents there. Now, I mean if they're super young, like six years old, I mean, but you, you'll probably want to change that. But I mean, if they're like nine, 10, 11 years old um, and we, we ask four questions on our baptisms um, of the person, but they're, they're kind of the four questions that we ask of, of kids that have made a profession of faith and their parents want to be baptized. Uh, where we're trying to discern as, as best as humanly possible is this person genuinely saved and so the four questions do you believe you're a sinner who needs a savior do you believe that jesus christ alone is that savior have you turned from your sins and trusted in him alone for forgiveness of your sins and are you willing to follow him for the rest of your life and as they answer those questions, you're not prompting them, you're not trying to help them along you you just so uh, do you believe you're a sinner? you need a savior? Yes, I do why tell me explain um, I, I, I think again, as best as humanly possible uh, you can you can discern um, now, uh, a lot of other people, and I respect this and and I understand I think um, we don't want to baptize someone until there's more um, demonstrated fruits of conversion. And I get that completely. And uh, a lot of sovereign grace churches um, do this way. So I, th- I think there's kind of three important questions to consider. And, and the reason I'm talking about this to all the parents is because, you know, you might think, no, I want my child baptized immediately and, and, and Matt – uh, and, you know, the guys that advise him are saying, no, this is the way. And I, I want I want you to respect that. But so these are the questions I think are important to ask. How important is baptism to a Christian's growth into maturity? Are we withholding a significant means of grace from someone just because of their age? So baptism isn't just a, a ceremony. it's It's a means of grace. God God does a work of grace in baptism that helps person to mature. And so are are we withholding from a nine-year-old or an 11-year-old a means of grace that God has for them to mature? A second question, isn't there wisdom in waiting to be able to test the fruit of conversion? We want to avoid giving anyone a false assurance of salvation. And we'll talk about that in the next section. And I think that's completely reasonable. Uh, I, I think we, we don't want to have people that uh, they're you know 25 years old and they're just, well, I was baptized when I was nine years old. Um, I, I remember we, we do a spring break trip for our college ministry. And we have a testimony night. And there was one young lady that gave a testimony. And, and her testimony was this. I was a Christian, but I didn't live like one. I remember thinking, well, so what makes you think you were a Christian? And there's a lot of people running around out there that what, they think they're a Christian because they were baptized when they were nine years old or eight years old or whatever the case may be. Um, that doesn't mean we shouldn't baptize, but it is a good reason for saying, okay, let's hold off. Let's, let's, let's wait a bit. And then the, the next question is since baptism isn't only a sign and seal of saving faith, but an acceptance into the covenant community, the church, are we willing to receive younger children into membership with all of its responsibilities and consequences? So, for example, would you church discipline a 13 year old? Um, and so, again, that's a, that's, and th- this is the, Uh, And we're actually re-talking about this at Crossway. This is kind of the biggest hole in our baptismal philosophy. So you have baptized Christians who aren't members of the church, because we don't have people become members until they're 18, maybe 16, I don't remember. Um, And and that's a, wait a minute, there's something wrong with that. Uh, Now, in congregational churches, uh, like Baptist churches, I understand, Why you know you don't have people be members? So a lot of those Baptist churches you see, wait, 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 um, because um, uh, a member has all the rights of a member, and I'm not sure they want not a bunch of nine-year-olds taking charge of a of a congregational meeting. So um, those those are kind of important questions that we need to be asking ourselves. Are those in your outline? Yeah. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure what I put in the outline. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. We want snacks. We want better snacks in children's ministry. <laughs> we want the pastoralities mean to us. Uh oh. Well, thankfully, thankfully, we don't vote. <laughs> um okay just finishing up this section um if the decision is to delay baptism which i understand completely and by the way no matter what the church if the church baptizes early the parents can decide to wait it, it's not a it's, it's a cooperative decision um if the decision it doesn't mean that you can't receive the child's profession of faith as genuine Uh, and begin to disciple them as a Christian. Um, Joe Rigney, in in an article that I referenced below, he has a really wise distinction between what he calls a credible or believable profession of faith versus a mature profession of faith. Credible, believable, meaning you sit down with the person, you talk to them, oh, I really think they're saved. Mature, oh, they've shown signs over years uh, of it. Uh, Rigney goes on to say, importantly, refusing to embrace the childlike professions of our children is not chilling our children to believe, but teaching them to doubt, which I think is wise. And we'll talk about that more when we uh, talk about being sure. Uh, Sam Amati, in another article, he recommends, uh, and I think this is wise again, balancing charity. You believe the person, you rejoice with them, You discipline them towards maturity or disciple them towards maturity. You celebrate evidence of grace, but you don't offer an unreserved assurance uh, to them. So balancing charity with credibility, protecting them from false assurance, uh, observing the fruit of their lives over time and holding off baptism. Okay, so that's our kind of talk on saved. Any questions about any of that material. Yeah, I've got i a question. Yep. What did you and Jane decide to do with like sending sending kids to like church camps and, and then when they came back, like how did we discuss that with them? Yeah. It never came up. We didn't have church camps. Um you know we had youth meetings but I always led the youth meetings when my kids were in there. But I, w- I would recommend, uh, like, if they go, yeah, you want to draw them out. You want to you find out what happened. You know, we always had a policy. It's a parent's privilege to lead their children to the Lord. So we wouldn't, like at youth meetings or camps or, or things, or in our children's ministry, if a child says or a teen says, you know, I want to I make a profession of faith, we oh that's wonderful that's great i'm so glad look go home tell your mom and dad let them pray with you so we 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 kind of wanted to avoid we wanted to avoid that because it's such a privilege for the parent to be there for that moment um but i yeah it's important that when they're it's part of parenting if if they're in a public school or a christian school you just can't assume you know you so Yes, uh in that in those kind of situations. Yeah, so what did you learn? What did you think? I think uh draw your children out, find out what's going on in their minds about those kind of things. I think it's wise. Yeah. So um so we have our seminar eleventh and asking about baptism and stuff. I just have conversation with them too, like, she is showing interest in the like, Um
1: and yet like encouraging that faith. Right.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I Right. Yes, I, I think that's where uh, the same, like, that quote I have there at the end, charity and credibility. Um, yeah, you don't want to encourage doubts at all. I, I don't know what your policy is about baptizing a, a younger child. I don't know if you have one yet, maybe. Um, Okay, maybe we can we can talk about it, but um, I, I I think you can I, I I think you do those charitable things. Um, it's wonderful, but uh, help them to understand. Um, let's we let's just wait. We wanna we wanna spend some more time just discipling you and helping you to grow. And so don't make the emphasis on you're not getting baptized, but. Um, we want to help you to grow more. we want you to be ready for baptism. We want you to um, I think that 's probably the wisest way because again, what happens and I kind of touched on this about children live in a Christian environment, and so um, you know they 're going to they 're going to see baptisms or hear about baptisms or and then well, I want that I want that I want that um, and um, you, you're not you 're not blaming the church but you know, if you come to a policy if we want to wait um, you you can just say, uh, you know we really believe it's wise as a church um, to wait uh, so that a person can can just bear more fruit in their lives but we 're so ex- you know you keep always coming back to but we 're so excited about you and thanks and um, and then just treat them like a Christian while you're keeping your eyes open. The the other thing that has to be decided if you decide to wait is like well how long do you wait? Like is there an F14, 16, 20, you know, um it's it's a hard it's a hard call either way. Um, so we could we can talk about more church policy. Um but you know parental policy. The the other thing I would encourage is Baptism isn't just um, about them and the Lord. Baptism is, is recognizing their membership in the covenant community. That's why I think it's important that baptisms be done as part of what happens in the local church, um, not just individually. Um, I, I, I made that mistake with a couple of our children. Um, and so I, I, I think we want to help build that into our children as well. Yeah, Tim. So in the so second, we you come to the UC Catechism, we're kind of working through it. Uh-huh. And uh, it's really, really good, little valuable. Mm-hmm. There are some questions that are very, like, to mm-hmm. be intense, for a little kids. You gotta explain how, you know? You yeah. five-year-old, four-year-old, four-year-old, Good for you, Tim. But like, I'm sitting here trying to think, how yeah. do you describe that? You know, how you work through that with young minds? You know, the yeah. place that separates you from God for eternity. This is a recent question you went through. You know, I, I think you can say something like, you, you know how mom and dad, um, that God calls you to, calls to discipline you when you disobey? Hell is the place where God disciplines people that disobey. Something like that. So you always got to think, what's age appropriate? Oh, man, I, I, I started to, like, explain it in my five-year-old. was like, so, what is it right there? You know, I was just like, okay, oh, we're not going to do that. It's right there. Just say, so you know, I've never been there. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. I it was kind of a sweet question. Oh, it's, it's, no. These, these are the kind of things. This is why parenting, I always say, it's not science, it's art. Um, it, there's no checklist. Oh, if my child asks this question, what do I do to page 103? Oh, I, you know, it's just like, man, you just got to discern. Um, and every child is, is different in that way. Do you, do you consider like the kind of thing? Like yes. Um, and this is, again, where we're kind of messed up as a, as a church. Um, we... Yes, we would we would wait on communion until they are baptized.